Ninjas, noir, and knife fights. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel, the best damn Marvel podcast around. It's a show where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or TV show and then quizzes another comedian. This one is an expert in Marvel comics, was taught to read with Marvel comics. Together, it's the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience. Welcome to the Daredevil episode of the podcast. I'm Rob Holden. I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. I'm also the Marvel expert in question and sat in the hot seat as ever. The hottest seat in town. It's Mr. Will Preston. Oh, it's such a hot seat. It's uh, it's burning my bum. I should really get a new one or maybe just put out the damn fire. Get a, get a new bum. That's the solution. It's always a solution. Just get a new bum. That's all you have to do, Will. Funny you say that. Tomorrow I get a brand new chair. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> what kind of chair? Office chair, like lounge, lounge uh, chair, or uh, armchair? Office chair, but ones with uh. the adjustable armrests. Just the back leans back because this budget thing I've got here that looks cool but isn't great and is falling okay. apart is just not doing the job. So I, w- I went to a proper office furniture warehouse. I looked at test out the chairs and I went, that doesn't look like a racing car seat. But I'll have it. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> You, you have to tell me, you're talking to the guy that spent like 350 quid of, <laughs> of my, my dead nan's inheritance money on, uh, <laughs> she left me a, she, she left me enough money to buy a chair. <laughs> but yeah, like we, the amount of time, especially during lockdown, mm-hmm. I was spending doing so much work in the office and recording and socializing kind of in this thing that, yeah, I went out and bought, I had to buy a chair for big fat lads. Um, it was called, it's by some company that they make, they make chairs for big lads and they're called something like the Rhino or something. They've all got like slightly insulting names. Uh, let me put you in the Rhino. That looks like the chair for you. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, yeah, this, this bad boy, fully customizable. You can alter and adjust everything. Anyway, we're not here to talk about chairs. We're here to talk about dead, Devil, um, as we look at the, I don't know what to call this. Like the, I mm-hmm. for years I was calling it the, the Netflix series Daredevil, um, because now it's on Disney Plus. Um, some people call it the Defenders Daredevil. Oh. Um, I, I, I mean, even the MCU Daredevil is up in the air for questioning. We'll get to that mm. later on, but it's the Charlie Cox series, um, critically acclaimed uh, and and uh, very well thought of and that's what we're diving into the dark side um of marvel and the mcu in this episode coming up we go behind the scenes on the creation of the dark side of the mcu or is it is it canon we're going to go behind the page and how the 1980s changed daredevil and all superheroes we explore the histories of matt murdoch wilson fisk Karen Page, Foggy Nelson, all the gang. We examine the powers of Daredevil. How heightened are those heightened senses? And what sets Daredevil apart from all other Marvel Mm. characters? I'm very excited about this one, Will. I adored this TV series and the comics that serve as its um, kind of um, inspiration. I uh, I, I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. I knew we were going to get round to it. Just so it would give me excuse to rewatch it, I've got the entire Defenders lot on my list to uh, rewatch all the Netflix shows because man, they were just mostly good, mostly good. 
That's not good. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, I think I think overall very very strong. Um, and you know we're not that far removed from uh, us looking at Jessica Jones mm. um, from that crop, which is uh, I mean one of the most downloaded episodes we've had this year so far. Yeah, it really uh, people really connected with it. Um, were very very impressed with it, and it was a great character to kind of look at because it's a very very new modern character created as we discovered um, after the year two thousand. So. That was a very interesting thing. This is going to be different. We looked at Daredevil, I think, back in our first year. It must have been. Um, it must have been in our first year. It must have been, uh, yeah. Yeah, as we, as we head now towards our three-year versiversary. Um, interesting to kind of revisit. Not only revisit a character, but in a completely different interpretation of that character. Mm. The difference between the Ben Affleck movie the Colin Farrell movie <laughs> and and this series is is stark and interesting um and that's something that we're going to get into especially i think in the portrayal of Wilson Fisk yeah one um, thing that's missing from the tv series is definitely random evanescence songs playing <laughs> <laughs> they have a f- knife fight on a seesaw <laughs> <laughs> Um, so if you want the full Daredevil experience, head back into the archives, um, and we've got a uh, an episode back when we did well, back when we did short episodes. We've got one of those. Remember the, that time the, when we had a life, the golden the golden age of us, you know, actually being Just punctual. An hour and a half, yeah. and then we go home. Yeah. What, what, um, what days? What days? What days indeed. But we're not just careering closer and closer uh, towards uh, death. No, we're not just careering closer and closer towards the anniversary, Will, but we are so very close. We're we're, Mm. we're like a month away, roughly, from our live show. The 25th of March this year, me and Will bringing Marvel vs. Marvel, the live podcast, resurrecting it from its award-winning performance in 2022. We're back in the Midlands at the Arena Theatre, Wolverhampton, the 25th of March. Um, And we're both just really, really excited to be able to do this. It's going to be a live show on the stage, a live recording of the podcast. But we're also going to have like a, I guess you'd call it a meet and greet. But, you know, with two lads who aren't famous. Uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have loads of time to meet everybody, yeah. chat, hang out. Um, I know the, the, the Leicester show we did last year, loads of people wanted things signed. They wanted autograph uh, uh, photos with us and things, yeah. So, which we were not expecting, really. No, 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 um, no. But we did get a chance to hang out with quite a few cool people, George Bingham and his family. Oh, yes. Um, we got to meet uh, Juicy in the flesh. Um <laughs> Which was really cool, and so yeah, that's um, uh, a very cool opportunity for us to do all of that and present a live show, diving into what if the Marvel multiverse, Captain Britain and Agent Carter. We're going to look at the very first what if episode um, as we do our live show, um, and that's one that we've been keeping those what ifs on the back burner. Um, for uh, it seems like a really cool thing to have mm. for a live a live experience as we get to uh, really dance around the multiverse and look at all these different um, short installments and, and weird wacky weird and wonderful stories over the years and getting this feels like it's going to be our first real chance to look at Captain Britain although yeah. tangentially because you know he doesn't appear 
in uh, in this in this episode. But it's an episode that's about Britain's having a superpowered superhero. Feels like the time to do Captain Britain because Lord knows if he's ever going to show up in the MCU. Um, so that's going to be really really fun. I'm really excited about that. We get to chat about Alan Moore um, and we get to talk about Captain Britain and uh, and all sorts of other things. Merlin, the Captain Britain Corps. Uh, all sorts. He's very integral to the multiverse mm. of the Marvel Universe. That's the 25th of March at the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton, up in the West Midlands where I are born and raised. <laughs> Um, a very short trip for me, very long trip for Will. Um, <laughs> I'll be looking forward to the drive. I like having a good old drive. <laughs> Last year when we did it, the trains were all messed up, so um, I couldn't get home from Leicester. Uh, well, I could, but it was. I, I think I was going to have to do like three. Di- like I think I've got to change trains. I'm going to get four trains to get home from another place that's in the Midlands. It was just. Mm. It was going to take hours and hours and hours. In the end, Dan Walsh, <laughs> the best banjo player in the country, who came and did our theme song, c- gave us a lift back, which was very very cool. Mm. Um, no Dan Walsh this time around. Um, he's busy uh, being a new father, um, which we wish him all the best in the world with. Um, so it's just me and Willie P. Yeah. Oh well. That's fine. Um, but we know we know you guys are coming out to to meet us and see us. Um, we. We've already seen tickets selling and who's coming and who's going to be able to come and hang out. We've managed to set the ticket prices at just £5 for this show, um, making it very, very cheap because we know you guys are going to be spending your money on that petrol, on that parking, you know, travelling down to see us. It's a Sunday afternoon, the 25th of March. Wait, is it a Sunday or is it a Saturday? I believe it's Hmm. the Saturday. It's a Saturday, yes. Sunday was last year. It's Saturday, 25th of March, 3 p.m. show. Tickets are just £5. The uh, URL link to get your hold of your tickets is in the show notes for this episode. Click expand. It's there waiting for you. But if not, we're over on twitter.com, uh, at Marvel Versus. And the pinned tweet has a link to the uh, to the show where you can get your tickets Get your tickets, book them. Let us know you're coming. Let us know to look out for you. We want to meet you guys in the lobby, have drinks. There's a cool bar there. We're going to be um, spending lots of time with people and then doing the show or maybe do the show and spend time with you after. It's mm. going to be great. It's going to be fun. Make sure you're there. 25th of March, the live show, the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton. This podcast is... Built around a very strong set of foundations, Will. Oh, the strongest of all houses, Rob. And the foundations of the podcast are, you know, that we are the two, we're two sides of the same coin. As we learned when we first met many, many years ago, uh, working on your Edinburgh show, mm. I think. I think it was Edinburgh show or it was lesser, whatever it was. We, we your, worked your, on a previous one man show. A previous show, before the, before the one man show, you helped me with my two hander. You help me with 20, yeah. 20 minutes. Who were misses? Hey, there it is. And what we discovered is mm. that we're both. We were both. We would both be bullied in the playground for being bullied for being uh, geeks and nerds. <laughs> but we did not really overlap very much at all in our geekdom, nerddom, fandom. Mm. Um, the, and as we discovered throughout this podcast, Will will bring up many references to video games, and yes, I will stare I at him and go, do that. "Is that like Mario?" Um, so and Will had never read a Marvel comic book before. A very I found that f- fascinating and interesting, and that's the basis of the podcast, the yin and the yang of the experience. Will represents the overwhelming majority of everybody in the world. The overwhelming majority of the people that love Marvel haven't read a Marvel comic, or if they've had, they've, maybe they've read a couple, you know, a few. Um, whereas I'm entrenched. 
<laughs> I can't experience these TV shows and these movies in the way that a regular person does. Um, I'm, I perhaps we'll get onto that. You know, I thought somebody else, uh, Sam Avery, friend of the show, hit me up to chat about how he'd uh, just been watching Eternals, <laughs> and I once again have to kind of say to people, look, I I, I really really enjoyed it, yeah. but. I must admit, I wonder whether some of that is because I knew everything that was going on. I wasn't being exposed to loads of new characters and backstory, and maybe that helped me. And I think sometimes that bleeds across into these to these projects that they come across. This is why we need Mr. Will Preston, well, who is the voice of the people. I am and, the people, man. Uh, so we now want to dive into the mind of a muggle. When this series came out, 2000, or maybe when it was announced, let's go to when it was sort of, when we knew it was coming out. Yeah. Um, had you seen the Daredevil movie at that point? I did not. I knew it existed. I saw the trailer for it once, maybe. And I remember thinking, oh, I thought they already tried to do that into a film and it didn't go well. And I was thinking, why are they doing this as a TV show? Why not just do it as a film? I had no idea. Didn't know what I was on about. And that's in- But that is interesting because mm. we weren't in the period of time of... Of 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 thinking that these characters now it seems kind of obvious almost because we've had the the Disney Plus shows spinning off from the MCU movies, mm. but to take a character that perhaps you perhaps people would have thought of as well he had a movie he must be a major Marvel hero why are they not doing a movie why is this guy getting a TV show that 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 struck you that struck me because it's it just doesn't seem. Like a thing for me. I mean, I know DC spent a lot of time doing a lot of TV shows with the different characters and everything, and they they found some success with that. But for some reason, this felt like it just didn't sit well with me. For some mm. reason, I just thought, why not just do a film? Just do a film, make it big, you know, what whatever. And you know, and just I, to interrupt there, then, two thousand fifteen, were you at that stage then where you were consuming all these prestige dramas at the time, uh, or has that come later on? Oh no, two thousand fifteen, uh, I, I was cherry picking a bit too much. I think I remember getting into BoJack Horseman around that time. Uh, I I, I love The Wire. I was a big Wire fan at that point. I think around that point as well, I'd finished my first watch of The Sopranos, which, hmm. looking back on, I, I had the totally wrong opinion of the show. And there were <laughs> things in here, but I, I haven't been inhaling TV shows like I do now back then. There were things I was watching. I remember trying to watch Game of Thrones. I think around 2015, 2014 was when I gave up on Game of Thrones. It's like Prestige wow. Realm's a bit, a bit of an odd one for me. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I had enough time. I was doing a lot of different things. Hmm. But uh, yeah, the idea of a superhero TV show, even though they they weren't that uncommon back even back then, I don't I can't I, I can't extract from my memory why I thought this was a bad idea. I think your your point about the the DC shows, what we call the CW shows, because they're all on there. The kids, ne- the, the the CW network, which was kind of dismissively known as the women's network, the young the young women's network, the girls' network, um, and it had been the home to Buffy and Angel. I think, mm. and a bunch of other stuff over the years. Um, DC's output being primarily on the CW. You know, mm. Arrow. Yes. Uh, which <laughs> is something else. Uh, and those shows, I think, as as much as they are fun, uh, I'm you you won't find someone that that, that defends um, Legends of Tomorrow like I do. Um, and <laughs> Supergirl can be fun as well. Those shows which are fun, but they're also, I don't know, they're very brightly lit, and they 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 all smack of like. Um, 
the OC, and the, but they're all yeah. by, they're all made in the Smallville vein. Yeah, which means yeah. I don't know, almost secular storytelling <laughs> and a lot of like soap drama, rather than um, so. So I think that perhaps coloured an awful lot of people's opinions of what a superhero to either oh so it's yeah. gonna be like supergirl or like the flash because like i remember which, watching the episodes of smallville and it was just like oh this is you know it's it's like a television show television show you get tv shows where it's like a, a story arc the story progresses and then you get tv shows where and at the end every everything's back to normal and we all learn a lesson that's what smallville felt like when i was watching the odd episode it didn't really um, feel like it, much it, was uh, pushing forward in terms of story. Well, uh, yeah, I can see where you get that impression. Uh, just to defend Smallville briefly, uh, it's not something I'm massively in favour of doing. Um, <laughs> it, do, it, it, it has season-long story arcs, and it has character development and stuff. It does do that. It does that in... It's, it's kind of like, I would say, and I apologise if you're a big fan of him, but it's all in the vein of Supernatural. Yeah. Right, it's just very sub Buffy. Like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a very high level of quality for me. Mm. Like, it's one of the greatest TV shows made. It, it balances this thing of fun, comedy, and drama, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And then there's things that came along, tried to copy it, and which where we get kind of supernatural. Where I don't know, whatever. Horses for courses. Um, and and Smallville, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it does have it does have that kind of. Uh, monster of the week vibe about it yeah this without is, without being kind of self-referential about it i think another thing is like those kind of shows are like 20 plus episodes a season aren't they some of them and i thought yeah. oh please no and then when i saw it was 13 episodes i was fine but i think i have a rule in my head that if you, your tv show is more than 10 episodes per season you have to have a really good reason for it and few shows have done that for me. Okay, interesting. I think 10 is um, the magic number. Will loves arbitrary rules that he applies to things. He loves them. I'm sure you have arbitrary <laughs> rules that you apply to things as well, Rob. But there's plenty... I, I'm not gonna, I can't name any right now, but I'm sure there's plenty you've mentioned on the podcast. I don't know, maybe. Um, but where did you pluck that from? No, we, look, we haven't got time. <laughs> look, just from experience watching TV shows, 10 is a comfortable number. See, I came to this, I don't know why, but I was immediately... Because I knew what Jessica Jones was, mm. because I knew, because some of the the image, some of the images that they kind of used when they were announcing the title graphics, I just, I, I very much got this prestige drama feel. Mm. I think I was immediately won over before the series came out. I, I felt like we were going to get something that that perhaps was going to be in that kind of HBO vain um you know especially because at the time you know it was all about uh, breaking bad and, yeah. and the wire and, and yeah sopranos and, and game of thrones and things um and and netflix had made some really cool stuff i mean they were they didn't make breaking bad but they were the uk's way of accessing breaking mm. bad and the fact that you know netflix was on board and it was being purported as you know they're only on netflix it felt like it felt like a, a cool, a cool path, cool route. Did you, did you uh, see these when they came out? Then, when they first came out, did you beat down the door to watch them? Or I think, I think I was a month or so late to it because everybody was raving about it, and I went, okay, I'll give it a go, and I loved it. I loved it mm. the first time I watched it. I went, this feels 
I mean, I had no concept of prestige TV drama back then, but this feels closer to prestige TV drama than any other superhero thing I've watched. Well, you said you'd already consumed The Wire and stuff. Oh, and yeah. Thrones yeah but, and but, Sopranos. So but that, that's that's like no, that's like saying I like sausages without knowing you know where they are in the grander scheme of things. You know, you don't you have no concept of prestige TV drama. You just know a TV drama that's good. Prestige mm, is like right. its own category almost. Okay. Yeah. I can I can certainly remember. I think I said brought this up on the Jessica Jones series because I think Daredevil's the first. I think Daredevil's the first one, then Jessica Jones is second. I can't quite mm-hmm. remember. They were at least quite close to each other um, in the same year. I remember like watching it and hoping, but not really. You know, sometimes when you commit yourself to watching a cool thing, you you hope you're going to like. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't. I wasn't really committed to. It. I was. I put it on to watch it, and the the opening and the title sequence and the first few moments, I I remember just being like. I'm. This is going to be good. I, this yeah. is. I can see the care and attention. I remember pausing the TV, mm. running into the kitchen, grabbing a bottle of whiskey, and a glass, <laughs> running back, turning all the lights off in the uh, in the room where I was watching it, oh, and then settling in. And that was my routine. Then, when I was binging three or four episodes, it was lights off, dark room, bottle of whiskey. Let's let's really dive into it. And the noiry themes oh, yes. of Jessica Jones and Daredevil really played in with that as well. Yeah, it, it just felt nothing like I'd seen before with the superhero thing. It didn't have that, you know, edgy grittiness of say uh, the Dark Knight trilogy or anything Zack Snyder's done. It it just had this grounded drama to it, and I really really appreciated that aspect. Did it affect the way... Well, I, it must have done, because you hadn't seen Daredevil. This is the first time you've ever seen Daredevil. It, it is. I always saw Daredevil That's really as, interesting. I just saw him as like, oh, he looks like Batman. Looks, what? Bit, looks a bit like Batman. Will, that you can't say looks a bit like Batman, this character man. is like Batman for every character we look at. You just can't. You get to do it like twice a year, and that's it. You've already used it up. You see okay? that guy? You see that guy who jumps around and when it's all dark at night, and he has a mask on with little horns God. and thing? A bit like Batman, isn't it? <laughs> and he beats people up with sticks. Batman so saw probably has bright, sticks. The bright red guy with horns on his head and thought he was like Batman. Ah, it's just Batman with a bit of red on, isn't it? So Batman this then costume changed. changed changed how you viewed the character. Yeah, I, I I didn't really have much in the way of knowledge or expectations with the character, but the whole aspect of he's blind, uh, but has you know senses, and he's uh, a lawyer by day, so that uh, balances things out. And he he he, he isn't rich. He he lives in Hell's Kitchen, which isn't supposed supposed to be not a nice place. I mean, I've walked through that through some of Hell's Kitchen, but not a lot of it. I didn't really get a good idea, and everything's gentrified anyway in, in the island of Manhattan. But uh, um, yeah, they, you, they really have to just—they just keep in Marvel. They just keep that thing of gentrification happened, but not to Hell's Kitchen. Not to Hell's uh, Kitchen no. for the purposes no. of these stories <laughs> and all these characters. It has to still be a hellhole. Because that's why I liked—I liked that. Because like with Batman, he has a lot of. Uh, ability to do his agency where he because he's a billionaire he has all the equipment you know all this stuff while daredevil's like he's got his flat he's got his day business which isn't great you know he gets he get he gets business but you know it's it's not like uh he's he's on the up and up to make making his own corporation or anything like bruce wayne has but it's, it's very oh it's like it's like when we discuss spider-man there's this almost relatability to it like mm. he's he's got his day job it's not a dead end job, but it's it's he's getting by, and then he does a thing in the evening. So it was like, 
I get this. I'm the same. I do a pottery course. <laughs> <laughs> I do a thing in the evening. I'm just like Daredevil. Yeah, just like um, Daredevil. So before going in, did you know about him being blind? And did you know, was that a thing you were aware Like, what were you aware of of the character? I, I knew he was blind only because uh, I got an old issue uh, in the early noughties of Mad Magazine. And they were oh. doing a send-up of Daredevil. And ba- where they do that thing where they get uh, stills from the film and put speech bubbles on them. And right. I had no idea what the film was about. But it's like, oh, yeah, I, I get the idea. You're going to hate me again for saying this. Oh, he's a bit like Batman, but he's blind. Uh- <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? He wears skin-tight stuff, jumps about the gaff. Captain America is essentially exactly the same as Batman. He's just got a shield and a no, bat- special potion. No, 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 no. no. And he's, he's Flagman. Flagman's flag different, different from Batman. Okay. But, you, but anyway, I got I, I got the gist that, oh, he's blind. That makes it a bit interesting. Not enough for me to see the Ben Affleck film. Because sure, I, yeah. I had nothing yeah. good about it. So I was like, no. And I didn't have, the, didn't have the, enough money to do cinema a lot. So... Whereas know. these days, Will's rolling in it. I am. Um, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so take us on then, uh, as we explore the mind of a muggle, let's hand the show over. Hand the show over. To your favourite character and mine. It's Mr. Hollywood. Mr. <laughs> Hollywood! I thought, we, I thought we, didn't, we didn't have that in the last one. I thought we were done with that. He's rifling through the dustbins of, uh, of Hollywood mm. um, to bring you, to, to rake through the muck, the muck. Um, of, of, this, uh, of, the, of the movie industry, the TV industry. Um, take us behind the scenes then, Will, on, um, on, this, on this series, Daredevil. Okay. Putting my Mr. Hollywood hat on. Looks like... Uh... A press hat from the forties. <laughs> the little thick. Never mind. Anyway, anyway. So our story begins <laughs> in April two thousand thirteen. Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige confirmed that the film rights to Daredevil and his associated characters reverted to Marvel from Twentieth Century Fox in October twenty twelve, allowing those characters to be used within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Quite funny, considering Twentieth Century Fox then got swallowed up by Disney. <laughs> Not uh, nine, eight, eight to ten years later. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, on making the Daredevil TV show, which would later become part of the Defenders, Marvel's head of television, Jeff Loeb, said there were a number of steps. The first of which was finding out what we were going to be getting the rights back from Fox. We had been watching that clock on the wall, and had see been seeing whether or not that clock was going to tick out. Then we had to figure out whether or not it was something that could become a television property because the movie division had first dibs. What uh, When it did become a television property, we had to figure out where is the best place for this to be. That was when I brought uh, to the group this idea of doing the street-level heroes in the Defender story. We went to Netflix and bought them this idea that we would do four 13-part stories that would be separate individual stories, but in their own way would feel like they're part of the same universe. Then, these four characters would join together and be in something called The Defenders. And Daredevil would kick it off. We looked at the model that the movie division has, which is different from the television division. There had to be Iron Man, the Hulk, Captain America and Thor before we could make the Avengers. For us, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage and Iron Fist had to exist before you could make The Defenders. But we also needed something that was organic. We couldn't just randomly pick four characters and put them on the same team. 
and hoped that it all worked out. These are characters that have known each other in the comics and who have had relationships. In the case of Jessica and Luke Cage, it gave us the opportunity to really look at that and to find the best place to tell those stories. That's where it always begins. As we like to say, the Avengers are here to save the universe and the street-level heroes are here to save the neighbourhood. What was challenging and compelling and interesting uh, too, at first uh, Drew Goddard and later to our showrunner Stephen DeKnight, was how to make the world live. What it was going to look like. What was it going to feel like? Fortunately, we all came to the same conclusion. That was the part that was really exciting. So, um, <clears throat> a lot from Jeff Loeb, who um, has, uh, was a long-time uh, comic book writer. Um, he also wrote, th- I think he wrote Teen Wolf. Yeah, he wrote Teen Wolf. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, he came on board and, and wrote some... He's the guy that wrote Batman The Long Halloween. Ah, very good, very good. Um, and Dark Victory and Superman for All Seasons. He also has written some of the worst Marvel comics I've ever read in my life. Um, Here we go. I'm looking at Ultimates Volume 3. <laughs> um, it, it, imagine, if you will, Will, mm-hmm. that someone takes over from Mark Miller and does a much worse job. <laughs> I I'm having um, that at the moment because well, I'm reading the authority and I've just finished Miller's run and up to the next bit not enjoying that much so much. No, Miller's run is interesting. Warren Ellis is the best run the, yeah. the way the way it starts. Yes, anyway, absolutely. Um, it's not worth reading. You don't need to read any of it. <laughs> <laughs> don't know why you're doing it. Um, yeah, but Loeb, Loeb was also a, wrote. Um, for Smallville and was involved mm. in, I think, the production side of it. So I, I was, a, yeah, mixed minds when I heard he was heading up Marvel's TV di- division. Um, but I love what he said there. I like that, you know, it's it's very apparent that that is this, they basically take the same approach of the MCU movies to the TV department, right? Mm. You start off with individual stories and bring them together when everyone is introduced and you care about them. Um and I think that's. I, I mean, I, I think I knew that going in, or no, no, I'm not. You know what? I don't. I don't think I did. I don't think the defenders was this kind of bring them all together was announced until later on in the project. Mm. Um, and I thought that was really exciting, um, uh, really exciting idea. Um, and I do think this there is a universality to how all the shows look, like the, yeah. the 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 streets they all inhabit. Look, you look and feel the same. Everything's at night, which is great. Yes, and yeah, I um, big fan. Yeah, absolutely. In October 2013, Deadline Hollywood reported that Marvel was preparing four drama series and a miniseries, totaling 60 episodes, to present to video on demand services and cable providers, with Netflix, Amazon, and WGN America expressing interest. A few weeks later. Disney announced that Marvel Television and ABC Studios would provide Netflix with live action series centered around Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist and Luke Cage leading up to a miniseries called Defenders. Alan Fine, the president of Marvel Entertainment, said, This deal is unparalleled in its scope and size and reinforces our commitment to deliver Marvel's brand, content and characters across all platforms of storytelling. Netflix offers an incredible platform for the kind of rich storytelling that is Marvel's speciality. This serialised epic expands the narrative possibilities of on-demand television and gives fans the flexibility to immerse themselves how and when they want in what's sure to be a thrilling and engaging adventure. I, I I do remember <clears throat> this 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 feeling at the time that 
the the movies had worked, mm. the blockbusters had worked, yeah, and and if this was going to work as well, oh my god, <laughs> to be able to watch smaller stories about Daredevil and Iron Fist and Luke Cage, mm. and then go to the movies and see, you know, the Avengers and stuff. What I mean, cre- again, harking back to me growing up in the eighties and the nineties, when you're lucky to get old repeats of a nineteen you know, 60s cartoon on the telly. Yeah. There's no... Like, everything is kidified. Everything is cartoony. Everything is... You know, you can't... It was so difficult. You know, comic books weren't everywhere, and adaptations of them were ropey at best, mm. you know, until you get to Blade. It does and make... so it was just... It was just... Yeah. It, it was like living in the promised land. I would mm. never have believed it as a kid. No, no, no. I, I totally get you. It's also interesting, like, how... Uh, you wonder if this was only possible through through Netflix, which was taking on a lot at that time, a lot of new ideas and trying and, and taking risks, if you will, with new TV shows. Well, they 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 weren't looking to from what the the, the kind of thing you just read. They they weren't looking for mm. a TV partner. They were looking for an on demand partner. Yeah, which tends to come with you know in the same way that you would look at, I don't know, like. Um, Mr. Robot and all those kind of things, yeah. where where the the, the the like they're not that the the content is not going to be their concern on demand. They're not going to stick their oars in like we saw um, with with some of the other things we've looked at, where the production you know TV companies get involved and say tone this down or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Netflix were in a period of of kind of the not quite blank checks, but. The deal they cut with House of Cards was absolutely yeah. huge, and and beyond that, you know, we're seeing it a bit a bit different now with Netflix. It seems like, yeah, well, you can have a series, but we will cancel it after the first one. <laughs> we've a, seen it. We, that, mm. That's been their trend for a while. We've seen it all mm. over. We've seen it all over. There's a lot of cost cutting measures, yeah. and beyond that first initial swell of attention it brings in, mm. yeah, whether they're bothered to carry on with it, it's a shame. But there we go. In December 2013, Goddard was officially hired as executive producer and showrunner for Daredevil, with Goddard saying, The thing I always loved about the Daredevil comic and the character is that it was never about saving the world. I was raised Catholic, and I thought it... Uh, I thought it was a Catholic superhero struggling with the notions of right and wrong. He was trying to keep his doorstep clean. All those little things that are really hard in a movie to do. You certainly can, but I think there is an expectation, certainly right now, for Marvel to deliver real spectacle. So when they said, let's do it as a TV show, I went, yes, that's the right approach. Then you can take time and deal with these smaller things, which to me are more interesting on a character level. And getting to see Vincent D'Onofrio and Charlie Cox go toe-to-toe. In 2015, Drew Goddard revealed he had tried to pitch a Daredevil movie to Marvel in 2013 that wasn't watered down but Marvel pushed back against an R-rated movie. At the time, Goddard said, I went into Marvel and talked to them about making it as a movie a couple of years ago, long after the the Affleck movie. But what we all sort of realised is that this movie doesn't want to cost $200 million. The thing about Matt Murdock is he's not saving the world. He's just keeping his corner clean. So it'd feel wrong to have spaceships crashing in the middle of the city. But because of that, Marvel. But because of that, Marvel on the movie side is not in the business of making twenty-five million dollar movies. They're going big, as they should. It felt like we'd have more freedom to make it on the small screen and make it look more adult. 
Look, if we took the Netflix show and put it in theatres, it's rated R, and they're not doing R-rated movies. And we also got to really explore the character. I feel like Netflix was the best possible home for that. Otherwise, you'd end up with a watered-down version. We talked before about how R-rated movies just don't mm. get made. Nope. Um, there's a huge problem with getting them into the, 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 the market in China. Um, and since that's where a huge amount of income comes from, um, movie companies, major movie studios, don't seem very interested in making R-rated movies. I think we've also talked about how the $25 million movie it doesn't seem to be profitable in a world without DVD sales. Mm. Um, those smaller, like movies now, they have to be big. Yeah, um, they yeah, have to yeah. be big blockbusters for people to go and to see to make. You've got to make all your money at the box office because you're not going to make any money after that. And you know, I think we talked about Matt Damon talked about how a lot of the kind of movies that he's been in, like those, you know, the first Born movie and things mm. like that, um, and some of the other movies that he's made only made profit because of DVD sales and Blu-ray sales. And once you take that out of the equation, because everything's streamed now, then the movies don't cannot cannot possibly make a profit. So that's why we don't seem to see those kind of movies anymore. Yeah, big shame that. However, Marvel announced in May 2014 that Goddard had stepped down as showrunner to focus on directing a feature film based on Marvel's Sinister Six team for Sony How's Pictures Entertainment. How's that going, Drew? <laughs> How's that Sinister Six movie going for you? Hey? <laughs> Goddard, who wrote the first two episodes of the series, remained with the show as a consultant. I, I, honestly, like... This guy has just spent, we just spent, heard a lot from Goddard talking about how he loves the character of Matt Murdock. If you really love the character, like imagine walking away yeah. from an adult, gritty, daredevil series to go and make Sinister Six for Sony. I tell Morbius you. Morbius is going to meet the lizard. I, oh, I, cool. I, I reckon there might have been some money involved, or it was like a, a big step up for him, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly going up to, going up to directing a feature film. Yeah. yeah. So, look, look. We all have things that we are passionate about, and then other things that we're also passionate about, but no, are more you're lucrative. A loser, Drew. You're a loser. You're a fool to yourself. Why would you believe Sony? <laughs> Goddard, who wrote the first two episodes of the series, remained with the show as consultant while Stephen S. DeKnight took over as showrunner. The Sinister Six film would later be shelved. <laughs> wop wop. No, 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 no. Sony are definitely making that. Come on. Why else would we have that weird scene where the vulture meets <sighs> Morbius? God, I have no, no. That Michael Keaton was definitely, he was definitely there for that. He just didn't want to take his helmet off. God, Michael Keaton making cameos in superhero films with a kind of eye-rolling thing. I don't care how much we get to see him in the new Flash film. I'm not watching it. You're not going to watch the Flash movie? I don't want to watch it. Jeez, you've not seen the trailer? I have. Whoa, okay. I don't want to watch it. I think Ezra Miller's annoying. He was annoying in the... Sorry, they were annoying in the uh, Justice League film. Good for you. They really got on my nerves. <laughs> anyway, talking about his writing experience on Daredevil, Steve S. DeKnight said, When I came on, it was already set in that gritty, grounded world. And, you know, I threw a little bit more dirt on there. But also, we never wanted it to take it all the way to R. We all agreed that Daredevil didn't warrant going all the way to R-rated. I think it's, what, uh, PG-15, I think it's technically. It goes to character, character, character. 
While we didn't pick any specific storyline from any of the runs on Daredevil, we definitely were spiritually influenced, me especially, largely by Frank Miller and Brian Michael Bendis' run with Alex Maleve. We were also very much influenced by Alex Maleev's art. We looked at that and said, that's the look of the show. I mean, that really captures it. That's something that really drew me to this project. That is part of the Marvel Universe, but it's also its own little dark corner of the Marvel Universe. But with the first two episodes that Drew Goddard had written, I was immediately struck by the fact you could be a hardcore comic book fan and be drawn into the show. Or you could not, or you could know nothing about Daredevil whatsoever, and it does not matter. You can have not seen any of the Marvel properties, the comics, the movies. I don't know how it's possible in this day and age. But you can come to it completely fresh, and it's all right there. I think the what really works about this series is that they nail the heart of the character yeah. and the stories, the interesting, good, cool, exciting, groundbreaking stories, yeah. so much that, yes, they're not doing a direct adaptation of anything, mm. but it is so... I, I will say now, I think this is the greatest adaptation of any comic book movie I've ever seen in my life. It's... Of any comic book project. I don't think I've ever seen a better adaptation that gets yeah. the heart and the core of the character. Like, you know, the... Um, yeah, I think it's just... the. Uh, I'd say the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes are very, very good at it. Um, and I think that for the first Avenger, Captain America first Avenger, and perhaps mm. the Iron Man movie, but this is just... The, I think it's the best execution. It's, it's, I think it's my favourite comic book superhero adaptation project you know above all movies mm. it's really something else it's, blade maybe on that sort of uh, sort of thread i think part of that is it they, they there was no pressure to make it a big thing they had the right kind of scope for it to make it like that so they could just focus on it there was no one going i'm gonna make this uh, you know how a director approaches a film on an existing property and i'm gonna put my my style into it sure but yeah. there was a little bit of that but they were focusing on let's make the style like the comics that's I think that's I think why it's so faithful. That works so well in um, in all forms of like art and creative media or whatever. Mm. Like a huge amount of the amazing comic books we've looked at and the the stories that really were groundbreaking and, and took off were there because like no one was really like editors and well the business wasn't really paying attention. The reason Frank Miller's and and Brian Michael Bendis's Daredevil stories are so good is because they were tucked they're tucked around they're not writing the Avengers mm. they're not writing Superman or Batman nope. they, they're tucked away doing Daredevil which has got its following and yeah. they you know they're almost kind of left at well the sales probably can't get much worse crack on see if you can do something <laughs> interesting you know that tends to be the generally tends to be the way the, the, the atmosphere in which the environment in which you get something really special and cool I was re- uh, we've, we've, we've covered that a few times uh, where like you have like a, a a property in Marvel or something that's resurrected or reborn because they went we don't know what to do with it you have this guy's pretty passionate about it have fun like I, yeah. I when I was uh, reading the authority earlier uh, I was reading about Mike Warren Ellis going like they didn't know what to do with Stormwatch and he thought that it was only read by the people <clears> in, <throat> in the actual office and it wasn't popular yeah. so he just went yeah. Oh, I, I fancy doing something like that. I love that. I love this opportunity to take something. It's like it's like a, it's like a brownfield redevelopment. You take an old de- derelict building and you turn it to something nice. Yeah, yeah. I man, I'm all for that. 
On writing inspirations for the series, Denai also said, we always reference the classic films of the 70s in terms of what he wanted to do. Dog Day Afternoon, The French Connection, The Conversation, movies that had that gritty New York feel. It was one of the reasons we wanted to shoot in New York. It's cheaper to shoot in Canada, but to Marvel's credit, they really wanted it to be in New York. They felt, and rightly so, that you just can't capture the feeling of New York without being in New York. Now, I didn't know that. I did not know this was done in New York because I'm so used to like, unless you really absolutely have to get an iconic, you know, uh, uh, scene and or yeah. something. I always feel like, oh, that's probably filmed in Canada. Oh, it's probably filmed in Berlin. Or oh, that's probably filmed in Wales. Glasgow. Glasgow. <laughs> Glasgow. There. there we go. They film elsewhere. But, you know, props to them for actually going ahead and doing it in New York. Mm, yeah. While the TV show doesn't feature any appearances from any characters from the MCU, it still exists within the same universe. Addressing this, Jeff... That's it. That's interesting. What's that like? Who is that? You making that? I I was I was that was that was my that was my written lead in. It's okay. Well, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about this. Who who from the MCU pops up? We've got a huge discussion to have. Okay. Okay. Addressing this, Jeff Loeb said, "If you live in New York, there are things that are going on all the time. I would never make light of the tragedy of 9/11, but 9/11 affected different neighborhoods in very different ways. They were all aware that this had happened, but the further down you got towards the area, the more affected you were by it. So we started with that sort of idea. What if the sky opened up and Chitauri were raining down with giant whales, and the Hulk and the Avengers were there to save the day? That's really exciting. But how?" did that affect the people who were six blocks over and three avenues down that's the richness of the marvel universe you can have that sort of thing happen and refer to it but have it be with not in not not the world of comics where you look up in the sky and thor flies by all the time this is a world where people do refer to tony stark as a billionaire in a tin suit or the idea that they think there's a thor out there with a magic hammer but the truth of the matter is i've never seen him what have you ever seen him it's that kind of world where that we exist in. For us, it makes Marvel what Marvel has always been, which is grounded. Well, thank you, Mr. Hollywood. I think it's a great time now to have a little chat <laughs> about, is this canon? Is this is this actually part of the... Are these shows, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, The Defenders, yeah. are they part of the MCU along with the other movies and shows? Okay. Do you want the short answer or the long answer? Because I, I actually they're both. I think because they keep referring to it as the incident or something, don't they? In the show, they refer to the the Battle of New York as the event or the incident or something. Sure, yeah. I, I'm going to yeah. say yes, they are in the MCU. In a what? What do you think? Well, it's they. It's difficult. Um, here's. They do. They are not listed as part of any of the phases yeah. of the MCU. They are not part of the MCU section on the Disney Plus app. Yeah. They are part of a completely separate, you know, the legacy section. Yeah, um, where they're just they're 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 listed separately as the Defenders Saga. Yeah. Um, now, and nothing in any of the movies makes any reference to any of this that happens yeah that's the trouble so it's almost like it's a non-reciprocal thing Mm. because they make oblique references to the marvel events in the mcu um i think behind ben urich uh in his office there are news stories he's written about the hulk ah i didn't um, spot that and stuff like that yeah 
but again, they're not. Yeah, they don't. Uh, and and then you know, and we don't. It's it. What is frustrating is that mm. Fiji and the like don't seem to want to give us a proper definitive answer. No. When Charlie Cox turns up as Daredevil and She-Hulk, or when D'Onofrio turns up as Wilson Fisk in Hawkeye, mm. it doesn't come with an accompanying statement that says, yes, of course they're part of the MCU. Right? It could yeah. just simply be, you know, this is the first time we ever see Wilson Fisk in the MCU. This is the first time we see Daredevil in the MCU. But and there's there's but there's no statement and and, and every, fans talk about this all the time with these shows and there's nothing from Marvel to say yay or nay, so I find that very frustrating and and and, and odd. I, it's, it's it's a nice Venn diagram almost. It's like oh, it's kind of like an auxiliary sort of phase or something. Like it's it's kind of is, but it kind of isn't. It's this kind of weird, almost like a tax loophole or something. <laughs> I find some people online talking about how the evidence for this, the evidence for that, mm. and they point to uh, um, pages on the Marvel website that talk about the, the the Charlie Cox Daredevil as all the stuff that happened to him in this TV show, and then going to represent Peter Parker um, in a future movie. Now, that's 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 not. I mean, that's a guy. <laughs> that's a guy getting paid you know 25 grand a year to run the website i, I yeah. don't know if he is it the official word on 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 the universe it's interesting um it's frustrating and odd that there's no definitive kind of yay or nay on it um especially since they own it i mean there's a lot of talk earlier i remember when these people said oh no netflix own it as if Netflix, yeah. you know, and the, yeah. when it leaves, when the, when the deal with Marvel runs out, Netflix will take it off Netflix and Marvel won't show it because they don't own it and it will just vanish, um, which of course was not true. Of course Marvel own it. Yeah. Marvel Television made it. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's an it's an odd one. I very much want it to be part of the 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 kind of the MCU. I and I I don't necessarily want there to be to see these characters crop mm. up in movies. I really don't. Well, I don't think that's appropriate or right for them. There was something I heard, but I don't know how true it was. There was there was a discussion that was quickly like, you know, no, we're not doing that, where uh, in the scene in Endgame, if I'm allowed to talk about Endgame... Uh, I don't know. I don't, I, yeah, I don't think we are. No, got, I'll, I'll, save it for, slowly, I'll save so, it for Endgame. Yeah. I'll save it for them. Yeah. Yeah, but you 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 heard rumor that they would show up in a future movie, like in, a, in Endgame, if, whatever. But it was it well, was it was, but the, well, but that's, the that's argue- just people talking. Make that's people talking nonsense on the internet. But apparently, some no, some no no, I'm not allowed to say what I heard. <laughs> it's not true. Whatever you heard, I'm telling you now, it isn't true. Okay. Why would you don't believe people on the internet? <laughs> Everyone on the internet, except for us, is lying. <laughs> Let's take a little look now at the um, the world of 2015 and what was happening in that world when this series um, came out to try and put some context into the the production and the stories that we're talking about. Um, it was the year of Uptown Funk, Will. Yay! I love that song. Uh, Mark Ronson, Bruno Mars, the number one song of 2015, Uptown Funk. Um, 
Uh, cheerleader by Omi was out as well. Oh, I think that I found myself a cheerleader. Jesus, hmm. Will doesn't know any. Will nope, maybe nope. I'm. Will gets probably about one per year. He'll know. Take me to church. Who's here? Take me to church. I will like dog and the chamber. I don't. I don't recognise no. that. that di- <laughs> I don't, Rob, I do not recognise that ditty. Um. Hello by Adele was uh, a massive, 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 especially in this country, but all over. You know that one. Yeah, I know that one. Um, uh, Hold Back the River by James Way. Oh, that's a great song as well. Um, and uh, it was kind of the year that Justin Bieber came back with mm. like two or three major kind of non schlocky, poppy, kiddie pop songs. Like, Sorry and What Do You Mean? Like, Sorry is a massive, massive song. Um, and What Do You Mean? were also top ten um, hits, uh, as in top ten of the years. So yeah. Best selling of the year. Um, that's, that's the soundtrack of 2015, as Daredevil's coming out. Um, movies! What do you think of 2015, Will, was the number one movie at the box office? Oh, let me think. 2015, obviously, we had Avengers Age of Ultron. I can tell you that, yeah, that's definitely in the top five. Right at the end, I remember seeing in December, right at the end, was Star Wars. I think that's all I know. So what's number one, then? What's number one? I'm probably going to go with Star Wars, because it was there was it was the longest period of time between Star Wars films, mm. so it would have to yeah. be. Yes, yeah. it, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens, um, the number two movie of the year was the Jurassic World. Um, <laughs> Age of Ultron was at number three. And then we had Disney's Pixar Inside Out, and of course, bringing up the rear, Furious 7. Did you the see? The seventh movie in the Furious franchise. Did you see any of the Jurassic World films? I saw the first one. I thought it was pretty. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't have any. Like I saw because I'd seen it in the, in the same breath that I saw um, Force Awakens. I had a I had a yeah. wonderful experience watching Force Awakens. I really really enjoyed myself and felt like a kid again. And I watched Jurassic World, and it just felt like a modern film, which it, are not good. It felt <laughs> like a standard B movie, but it, there was a lot of fun there. But there was also a lot of bits where no, I was like, I you disagree. Have done there was that. not a lot of fun there. I disagree. I, 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 I thought there was anything f- fun about Jurassic World. It was fun. But it, a lot I, I of what made the original film great was just not there. And it yeah. got worse and worse. Sam as the Neil went is on. his name. Laura Dern and Sam Neill were not there. Well, they were in um, the last one, and it was one of the worst films I've ever seen. Uh, superhero movies. Of course, we had Age of Ultron um, coming out in uh, in 2015, along with Ant-Man. Yay! Uh, which is apropos, as Quantumania is in theatres right now. Yes. Um, and, of course, uh, to add this one in, we had Kingsman, The oh. Secret Service. Um, I don't know whether you class it as a superhero movie, but it was published. It's based on a comic book published by Marvel Comics. It's. Uh, um, I, I've read the comic. Uh, no, it's weird, awful. Weird, really bad. It's not, it's not amazing. It it's really it's, bad. It, the Secret Service is a terrible comic. I, I, there's, there's one thing I like about it, which is because uh, he's learned to be a spy, they actually go to Gosport. They actually go round the corner for where my mum lives, and I recognised instantly, like the bit because there is a spy school there. Good. Well, that's worth reading the seven or eight issues of <laughs> um, TV shows. Um, TV shows in 2015. Haley Atwell, uh, a forever crush for me, an eternal yes. crush for me. Yes. Um, returned to the role of Peggy Carter with the new TV series Agent Carter. Mm. Um, 
which uh, was created by um, Marcus and McFeely, who wrote all three Cat movies, as well as Infinity War and Endgame. I really need which... to watch that show, and I hope we cover it soon. I really yes, it's on the docket. It's on the docket. It's on I the think docket. Marcus, Marcus and McFeely are like the. I think they're in the top three most highest earning or. Like they've worked, written more high, you know, the, the most highest earning blockbusters of all time, or something like that. They're very high up that list. Um, that's an ABC Studios Marvel Television co-production, as is Daredevil that we're looking at mm. um, at the moment. Um, yes, and it explores um, Peggy's life uh, after the the end of the Second World War without Captain America, as she gets tangled up with Howard Hawk, Howard Hawk, Howard mm-hmm. Stark, Howard um, Hughes. Of old movies now. Howard Hughes. Um, the creation of the <laughs> Black Widow program, the beginnings of Shields, and lots nice. of espionage. Um, 2015. Also, Jessica Jones came out as mm. we talked about and documented. It's also the year of Fear, The Walking Dead. Boo. Oh, not a fan of Fear, The Walking Dead. I watched. The first season of it, and then the second season, and it just felt. And, and, and they, they're doing yet another Walking Dead spin-off, and I just, oh, yet another. What's the other Walking Dead spin-off? Oh, it's uh, Michonne, the two, the two main. Characters. Oh, the one they're doing now. Yeah, you didn't have that in your mind. That Fear the Walking Dead. Fear the Walking Dead gets. Um, it, 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 it's it's interesting to see how the world collapses. Um, I but, found that interesting. The rise of the zombies was interesting, oh, and it, then it starts to really pick up in season two. I no, um, I, I had that, but then it just like it quickly becomes. Oh, this is just another Walking Dead show. They've 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 tossed that original like unique aspect out the window very quickly. I felt. I don't know. That's that was my experience watching it, mate. Yeah, as the world collapses, it's interesting. I do find it interesting how the timelines kind of uh, eventually start to catch up and things. I, mm. I, I, I um, depends what you enjoy about The Walking Dead. <laughs> um, the one to two episodes of seasons when it's really good. <laughs> oh, mate, no, you're 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 at odds with public opinion there. Oh no, um, there's well, it's quite divided, but there are people who feel the same as way as me. I'll have you know. Sure, there are, but there are like the the, the mm. key the key seasons of Walking Dead are very very high scored. Um, they're uh, they're really cool. Um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt came out in 2015. Mm. Um, as did Mr. Robot and Better Call Saul. Mwah! What a show! Um, in Marvel Comics. Over at the 616 Universe 2015, we saw Peter Parker leading an army of alternate Spider-Men as the Spider-Verse saga races to its conclusion in the month of February. Um, Thane, the son of Thanos, seeks power of the Black Vortex, and only the star-crossed lovers of Peter Quill and Kitty Pride um, can stop him as they assemble all their friends and allies, the Guardians of the Galaxy and the X-Men, team up in space to battle Thanos' son... And then it all ends. Secret Wars. Mm. The uh, the storyline that involves everyone in the Marvel Universe and everyone in the Marvel Multiverse. Universes are destroyed, shattered, and rebuilt from the ground up as Marvel sets about rewriting its history in a major cosmic manner for the very first time, taking a bizarre page out of the DC Comics book as universes are merged, destroyed, abandoned. It all kicks off 2015 in Secret Wars, a massive year for Marvel Comics. Let's go behind the page now, Will. Um, And we've already looked at Daredevil and his creation, and Mm. you you can head back into the archives to take a look. Um, and take a look, take a look with your ears, um, or in, in, as some people might say, listen uh, to <laughs> our previous Daredevil episode. Um, <clears throat> but I think I don't know whether you can remem- remember this. I'll try and see if we can jog your memory. Then 
Mm. Daredevil comes about in the 1960s. And um, he's kind of a, a you know a wish fulfillment character like like Spider Man is, um, you know, written for youngsters who could suddenly have this amazing kind of um, life, this different life, um, mm. and and have these powers and these abilities and uh, put on costumes and dazzle their their, their friends and things. Um, but throughout the sixties and the seventies, Daredevil is very much pre- painted as a swashbuckling acrobatic hero. Mm. Everything that we everything that connects with audiences now about Daredevil happens in the 1980s. Mm. And it's night and day from what you see in the 60s and in the 70s. The 60s and 70s, he's got schlocky Bad, really bad supervillains that we've looked at, like the Matador, um, the emissaries of evil that we've looked at over on Obscure Marvel on Patreon, um, Leapfrog. <laughs> you know, they're mm. all there. Um, and and the seventies, it's you know, he moves out to the other side of the country, goes out to California, and but but it's it's you know it's it's laser guns and it's it's it's. Uh, Twins and it's secret, you know, secret twins coming back and faking deaths, and it's all very just, yeah, it's very, you know, 70s and 60s Marvel. Mm. He's not a A list or even a B list character, Daredevil isn't. And how well of he's how, how well he's thought of is, um, is up for debate, and sales are not terribly good. Um, which is when a, a, an artist called Frank Miller gets involved. Frank Miller comes aboard uh, at the end of the 70s mm. um, as the artist for the series. Now, Frank Miller um, really wants to, to, to and, and, and has done, draw a lot of crime comics. Mm. And he feels that Daredevil is quite maybe his way in because Daredevil is such a street-level guy. Mm. There aren't really... Fa- like. He's not web swinging through the, you know, above the above the the, the buildings. He's not battling like Doctor Octopus mm. and things like that. He felt he felt that Daredevil is his way into kind of doing crime stories at Marvel Comics. Ah, he starts, that... yeah, he starts off yeah. as, as just the the writer. Uh, sorry, just the artist on the series, um, and um, his art is tremendously well received. Um, he's an incredible uh, narrative or storytelling illustrator. Mm. That, that generally is kind of like almost two two types of um, of, of art in in these kind of comic books. There's um, illustrative uh, story, uh, illustrative dreams, um, which is where your art looks incredible and it's really there on the page to kind of be a gorgeous backdrop while people read the panel boxes and mm. the, the text, the, the dialogue and what's going on. Um, when we spent a lot of time looking at Chris Clement on X-Men. He's known for working with an awful lot of great artists like that. He's pairing with Jim Lee. Jim mm. Lee would draw these gorgeous pictures of the X-Men. Wolverine, Cyclops, Colossus, um, Psylocke and Jean Grey and all that. And you could take all the text off the page and they would sell incredibly well as posters, trading cards, you know, things like that. So that's the backdrop. And then Chris Clement's kind of quite uh, verbose, wordy text would be on the on the screen. So you're not really having to do a huge amount of interpreting of the 
of the, the the physicality of the of the page with why, how you're reading it. Well, Frank Miller comes from a slightly different school, um, and I'm sure he does both. He does both in 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 Sin City, but at this stage, he's doing this kind of narrative illustration mm. um, where he's really working on 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 following in the Will Eisner school um, and 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 really telling very complex kind of stories with his art as well as with his words. After a while, um, Frank Miller, you know, expresses an interest um, in in writing the series, and it is very much handed over and given to him. And this is where Daredevil changes forever. Mm. And this is where Marvel Comics, super hit superhero comics, the the concept of action comics in the Western world changes forever. Miller introduces. Um, he 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 chooses he picks and chooses what aspects of daredevil's history and backstory to abandon ignore and forget as he creates his own hmm. um without explanation it's just there you go <laughs> we'd have to wait like another 10 13 years to kind of get an updated version of daredevil's backstory um but he transforms the daredevil comic into a series that is about um, gangsters, crime, drug dealers, um, assassins. Um, it's very moody. Mm. It is very urban. The artwork um, is very gritty. And he brings in a huge amount of influence from the, the, the realm of film noir and, and crime noir novels. Film noir movies, crime noir novels. Um, we start with like crashing lightning um, and torrential rain. Shadows suddenly play a huge um, expressive part in the stories as they do in, in film noir. Matt Murdock develops this um, kind of gritty internal um, narrative dialogue. There's like you're reading a Raymond Chandler novel. Mm. Um, about how the streets are dirty and they need cleaning up and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he really develops and expands. Um, and he transforms what Daredevil is. This Daredevil had been this happy-go-lucky... Um, he would he would quip and tell jokes like Spider Man did. <laughs> he would swing in on a on a on a on a line like Spider Man did. He would he was an acrobatic swashbuckling good guy. And then Frank Miller comes along and and everything changes. Um, and throughout this series, as Miller introduces like hitmen with psychotic problems, <laughs> femme fatales. Um, Everyone has loose morals. Mm. Everyone has shades of grey. Throughout the series, um, throughout his run of the series, sorry, he nudges Matt Murdock closer and closer and closer towards this anti-hero idea, which was not present in superhero comics as 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 a thing that, that for a main character to be. Um, there is a famous famous scene that I think we talked about before of after. Bullseye has murdered Daredevil's true love and done some truly awful, horrifying things. He is in a car accident, you know, during the fight. He wakes up in hospital, Dead Bullseye does. Daredevil, and he's completely in traction and can't move. And Daredevil is sat in the chair next to Bullseye, holding a pistol. They play Russian roulette. Daredevil puts the gun to Bullseye's head, pulls the trigger. Matt is crying as he does this 
Mm. Like, these things did not exist in superhero comics. This level of sophistication in storytelling, this level of adult and mature themes, yeah. did not exist in storytelling. Um, Frank Miller was also at the... It's, I don't know how he knew this, but there's a, a, a craze for um, ninja story... Ninjas and pop culture storytelling movies, books and things. And it kind of kicks off in 1980 with a novel called The Ninja by Eric Van Lustbader. Um, and that starts to usher in an, an, a, an, a, a, an arcade game. Um, mm. I forget the title of it. That starts to usher in the, 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 the ninja craze of the 1980s. Frank Miller is right there, 1981. Bang! Here comes The Hand. Here comes Electra. Here comes Matt's complicated backstory that involves ninja training for the first time. So he's riding the crest of this cultural kind of phenomenon of, of introducing Eastern um, uh, mysticism and philosophy into action-adventure stories. But that level of sophistication we've talked about how the 80s was this huge change in in comic books um driven by the success of things like the dark knight returns and watchmen driven by things like swamp thing and sandman all of these things come after frank miller on daredevil and all of these things Really, it really starts the idea of the anti-hero, the idea mm. of sophisticated storytelling, the idea of introducing shades of noir, shades of grey, a grim and gritty approach to these action adventure characters starts with Frank Miller's Daredevil at the very start of the 1980s. And the compelling thing about it is that yes, the Dark Knight Returns <laughs> sold like gangbusters and everyone talks about it, as does Watchmen, although Watchmen didn't sell like gangbusters but everyone talks about how, how much of a cultural, um, not even a touchstone, a, a change mm. in the culture was done through things like uh, Dark Knight Returns Sandman Watchmen, these were all um, self, like Dark Knight Returns was about Batman, but it wasn't really. It was an imaginary future <laughs> Batman, and it happened in its own little little uh, mini series. Yeah. Watchmen, no existing characters were used. Sandman, I'm gonna say no existing characters are used. Mm. So there are these very um, niche things that can be done. Frank Miller was doing the the was starting this revolution in a major Marvel comic book, pushing the boundaries of what was acceptable um, in terms of um, mature conversation, dialogue. I'm not talking about swearing. I'm talking about themes and tones. Pushing what was acceptable in terms of um, depictions of violence. There's not a blood fest, but um, there's an awful lot of swords going right through characters in silhouette. <laughs> like, that's a big thing. You know, characters getting stabbed, killed, major supporting characters. Um, that Russian roulette scene, I will never forget it. It is a harrowing thing to see the lead character clearly having a breakdown and weeping openly as he commits this act of would-be violence um th these these tones these dark tones 
and, and mature approaches and sophisticated approaches were introduced in a major, major comic book. Um, all right, he wasn't a major character at the time, but it was still, you know, it, it's still doing it front and center rather than like behind the bike sheds, uh, where you can get away with a lot more. Um, and it really did change the way that people wanted their superhero comics to be in much the same way that there was a if you think about as we've been talking about prestige dramas as this show is think about dramas television dramas used to be you know they'd be about a um a doctor or a or a or a police officer or a lawyer but they're all decent good people and then there are antagonistic events that happen to them and then we get this trend of actually what we're thirsty for is stories about that we get the shield and sopranos and the wire we want stories about corrupt cops mm. and drug dealers and we want stories about the mafia and we want stories of, you know we want um we want complex characters that have dark tones we want stories that have dark tones and we as a, a viewing public thirst for that shades of grey darkness sophistication um and noir in our prestige dramas well once frank miller had started the ball rolling in the 80s with daredevil like that's what the comic buying audience wanted from their main characters from their lead characters they wanted this to carry on which is a huge part of why we then got things like dark knight returns Mm. Watchmen, Sandman, and how it started to influence. It's why Wolverine became, you know, hugely popular because Frank Miller paved the way with Daredevil. The Punisher. Why did the Punisher become get the chance to be so popular? Because Frank Miller proved it could be done in Daredevil. Um, and so this is really some people have written about this era as the death of the hero. You know, because this 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 idea of an anti-hero mm. dominated comic books throughout the ni- 80s and the 90s and still exists in many forms there are mm. many characters that are still allowed to be popular and lead protagonists but not heroes like punisher like yeah. wolverine and it was frank miller on daredevil completely changing and altering what a superhero and a main action adventure comic could be and could do it's uh, um, it has to be one of the things that attracted me to a lot of comic book reading in the first place because I know that comic back when I was a kid, comics had that kind of thing of Superman going like, ah, he's a pure hero doing right and everything's black yeah. and white. And then when you get into things like Alan Moore and Frank Miller and reading things, it's like, oh, hello, this appeals to my teenage sense of grittiness. <laughs> sure, because as we get to teenage yeah. years, there's the, yeah. what's that thing? I I I've left my my ch- the childish things behind as yeah. I grow. Yeah. Um, we leave our toys behind, and we want to um, dabble in the world with the shades of grey. Um, and it was an incredible cultural shift mm. that began um, with Frank Miller on Daredevil, um, and that plays out throughout this series as they look to th- this this groundbreaking run that Frank Miller did and as we know the next Daredevil project is going to be called Born Again which is the roughly the conclusion of Frank Miller's incredible run on Daredevil We always love hearing from you guys. You can get in touch with us by sending an email to marvelversusmarvel at gmail.com 
or indeed you can find us on Twitter where we are at Marvel versus Will. What have you got for us in the mailbag? Yeah, oh, what a mailbag lies before me. First of all, Holly Galpin said that hallway fight and pretty much the best TV Marvel bad guy chuffed to bits that Vincent D'Onofrio is carrying on the kingpin role and that Charlie Cox remains a really good lawyer. My only re- issue with any of the Daredevil show was Electra. There's not much wrong with Elodie Young in general, but they could have cast a Greek actress. Yeah, that's always. Mm. Uh, I never, I never quite know why um, movie and TV shows do that sort of thing, but they do. They do. It happens. Thanks for getting in touch, Holly. Uh, Eric Cotton said, "I haven't watched the Netflix Daredevil series since it was first released. That being said, I remember it being a fantastic show, from the supporting cast up to Charlie Cox. The the performances were top notch. The only drawbacks I remember were the number of episodes and the length of time it took to get him into the costume. The latter was a minor concern and would be even less so with a smaller episode count. Obviously, the hallway fight was a standout moment. The darker tone of the Netflix series probably made the higher-ups hesitant to incorporate these characters more directly in the overall MCU, but I'm not sure the tonal shift would have been such a great obstacle. <clears throat> um thank you evil eric um <laughs> i i don't know like i uh, yeah I, as soon as i i i guess i felt all along that we were going to get the costume in the last episode oh yeah um that would make just, perfect sense it just felt like that way to me that we were getting kind of the the year one story as it were hmm. um and i liked the way because it's i just like the way that that proto costume looks yeah um, uh, and it makes him look very, very badass. And I, what, so, so Eric, I, I'm confused. You said that the number of episodes was a problem. Well, I think, I, 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 I think that. Well, remember what I said. I, I think no, you say that. a lot. I tune you out. I must admit. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> I said ten is the right. You should never really go over ten unless you really need to. And I remember thinking when I was watching a lot of these Defenders shows, I was thinking. They should probably cap it at ten. But that said, I will be going through them all again in my own time, not for the podcast, just for my own benefit. And I'm going to have a horrible time of going which episodes would I take out. Basically, I think, Jessica I think Jones and Daredevil. I don't think there's any. There's no. no there's no um, fat on that meat. I think Iron Fist. I really felt there was a lot of fat on that meat. I disagree. Um, Iron Fist. Um, I preferred Iron Fist to Luke Cage, and I. I, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I think that's what I, I think that's what Eric's getting at. That what is too long, too many episodes per season. He wants less of a thing that he said is fantastic. This is a fantastic <laughs> show with great performances throughout. I really really liked it. There should have been less episodes. <laughs> I don't understand these people. Okay, who else? Dylan Dodds wrote in to say, I enjoyed the first two, although thought Jessica Jones was slightly better. Stopped after the Defenders as I thought it was unrealistic for him to come back from the dead. Shut up and go away, (laughs) Dylan, you idiot. What are you talking about? Oh, what I really want from my... um, I want it to be be more realistic. You're as bad as Will. Get out. Get out. Go away, Dylan Dodds. What's his name? Dylan Dodds. Dylan Dodds. <laughs> it was unrealistic when the character came back from the dead. Oh, is it? Cool. Jog on. But knowing he was coming back in She-Hulk and a certain other character coming back in another show made me catch up with season three and it was easily the best season. Oh, all of a sudden, Dylan. Why would you even write... If I realised... 
If I realised I was wrong, I wouldn't have put that bit in my letter. I would have just left it out. Because I came to a new conclusion, which is that season three is the best of the Daredevil seasons. And I just want to put that in. One and two were pretty good. Season three was great. Okay, two things. One, I haven't seen season three yet, and I'm really looking forward to when I go through them again. Two, this is the most uh, amount of reaction I've ever had from a letter from you than when I got the person's name wrong and it didn't sound like them. (laughs) Didn't I know I could spot who that I think was? That was really. I think that was Cody. I, I just, I just, I, it's just <laughs> baffling to me, you people that want these things to. I, I don't really have. Can we just see how, how, but how did he do it? How did the man with superpowers come back from the dead? Every time this kind of they thing happens. They told you how they did it. The mystical ninjas did it. It was there. It's, Every- the plot begins in season one and they keep it. Every time this kind of thing happens, I think back. To that bit in The Simpsons where they're, they're, they're trying to come up with a new thing for Itchy and Scratchy and they're listening to the kids' feedback and it's just like, and he's, and he's trying to sum up, so you want a show that's down to earth but also off the wall and swarming with giant robots. And it's like they want both at the same time and it's useless talking to these people. Yes, it's useless talking to them, I agree. Yeah, anyway. Excellent new villain with Kingpin remaining incredible. The prison scene is easily in the top five best action set pieces from the entire MCU. Incidentally, if you ever want to do a bonus Marvel versus Marvel, I've got a list. I know I'm going to sound like a middle-aged dad, but going from season three straight to She-Hulk gave me the biggest whiplash since the third, last third of Iron Man 2. And I wish they'd make more shows like Daredevil, but not lows, like one interconnected street hero show. They did. They did four of them, <laughs> and defenders, and people moaned and I, weren't happy. I think no, he no. means more after that. Just more, you know, just maybe one extra one. Okay. People like things real. People like different things. That's what makes it all special and lovely. Graham Rayner got in touch to say the peripheral characters are so much more well-rounded than in the movie. Foggy and Karen are actually important to the story. Charlie Cops encapsulates the inner conflict in Matt Murdock better than Affleck and Dionofrio is superb as Fisk. Throw in the crossover characters from Punisher, etc. And it's so much more watchable. And I'm an Affleck fan. Oh yeah, uh, thank you, Graham. I'm an Affleck fan as well, but that movie, you know, yeah. um, was, uh, was so many dark, there were so many dark action scenes where you can't see what's going on. Terrible. I would consider myself an Affleck fan, but I tell you, he's done some great stuff. I, I, I'm neither a fan nor a hater. As I always say, Ben Affleck is always really good, even if the thing he's in is not really good. <laughs> That's fair. Michael Mertens also wrote in saying, I enjoyed it a lot more than the movies. Maybe because I ended up much more invested in the characters. The same with Jessica Jones and Luke Cage efforts. To me, it felt like casting was better throughout, rather than chucking some big names together as in the film. Yeah, I think that's really... Thank you, Michael. I think that's really true as well. You don't, you're not trying to... Um when you cast for a movie that's got to make x amount to break even and this that the other you, you have to go god well, we've got to have this name and that name in it we've got to have the hot new star colin farrell and we've got to have this guy in and stuff like that mm. yeah whereas you don't have that pressure i don't think with some of these shows yeah 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 i get that especially Black- when they're already they're already sold you know it's been sold yeah you no know de- netflix are paying a massive whack for it cool exactly Russ Blacksmith also wrote in to say, Until they show the accident creating the Ninja Turtles, I will not be satisfied. 
I joke. <laughs> you remember that from our Daredevil episode? I do. I do. And it's the first thing I ever think. Every time I see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I keep thinking, ah, they're a spoof of Daredevil originally. They are. If, you, if you've not seen that, written to that episode, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Eastman and Laird, uh, it is a, um, a, a, a reactionary spoof of, <laughs> reactionary of um, Frank, spoof. Frank Miller's Daredevil. Um, because it was a very odd thing, you know, to take, you know, giant red costume swashbuckling goofy daredevil and do him as this gritty noir character and so they did the same thing with the um the ninja turtles who fight against evil ninjas called the foot um and yes so the um the radioactive waste that blinds matt murdoch goes down the drain and creates the ninja turtles god that's my childhood right there created because of someone wanted to spoof someone I he, I joke. The, the you show were created because someone wanted to spoof someone. Who were they spoofing when they created you? I meant my childhood, you know, because oh. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was such a big part I thought of my the, childhood. the sexual act of your conception was some elaborate joke, and I didn't... What's that story about? Father, why do I exist? I'm just doing a spoof, <laughs> mate. I'm just doing a spoof. Just a spoof. <laughs> <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> the show itself was as dark as I hoped. Foggy and Karen were awesome. Fisk, what can we say? Nobody better to play him than Vincent. I liked Rosario Dawson for her part as well. John Bernthal knocks it out of the park as Frank Castle too. Love their choice for a lecture. She she is of Greek origin. She should have said something a little Mediterranean. So she should have her something a little Mediterranean about her look. So someone's saying that she's not Greek. Someone's saying she's of Greek origin. This is what happens when... No, I, 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 I interpreted that as um, th- they're saying Electra, the character, is of Greek origin, so the actor should have something oh, Mediterranean okay. about their look. Ah, uh, okay, okay, okay. But I haven't looked very much into this because we're not dealing with Electra in this uh, in this, this series, so... Also, yeah, good shout-out for John Bernthal, uh, or as I like to call him, the uh, Mr... He has a... What was it? <laughs> Resting police brutality face. <laughs> I don't... I don't um, I'm sure... Or I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know about this guy. I don't... I don't like... I don't like him. Uh, I'm sure he's a terrific actor and everything. He's always um, the same guy and everything. He's literally the same guy and yeah. everything. And I maybe maybe it's it's um it's kind of like a holdover from The Walking Dead, um, yeah. where he's a terrible you know a horrific person. He is. But also, I've seen him being interviewed in a lot of podcasts, and I don't like. I his vibe is not a vibe I like. I don't want to know or talk to John, whatever his name is. John Bernthal. Uh, I get massive yeah. bully vibes from that. Yes. Guy, and I don't, I'm not interested in it. That's why I say he has resting police brutality face. He just has. He the, looks like yeah. the kind of guy that's going to be adapted into a dozen alpha male memes. Oh, and, no. And I'm not interested. Yeah. Eddie French also wrote in saying, I really dug it. Like all the Marvel Netflix shows, it probably should have been 10 episodes instead of 13. Thank you, Eddie. Loved the tone and the grit. It didn't lose itself in the darkness and become just Snyder mope. (laughs) I prefer the first season of Jessica Jones as it managed to be an engaging drama while also being a very thorough essay on survival and PTSD in noir superhero drag. The way the second series was similar, but exploring abusive relationships. Sorry, Daredevil, back to Devil. Uh, very engaging, nicely balanced tones, and all performances to my eye were strong and believable. Thank you, Eddie. Um, I don't know if it's personal affection for characters. But I, I, I do genuinely think 
Daredevil is the best of the of the Defenders lot overall. Like Jessica Jones is very very good. Don't get me wrong, um, but I I just think that the I just think the again the the the, the performances the the, the I mean it's just yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Mm. Finally, we have King Canuck, who wrote in to say, "Hello from the Great White North." Daredevil first appeared to me in the PS1 Spider-Man game. His cameo, essentially, was so brief that I really didn't have any idea who the hell he was, aside from a guy in red warning me that the police were after me. I'm not sure when exactly I learned what his whole story was. The first version of his origin I saw was probably the one from the Spider-Man cartoon universe. Don't think I paid him a ton of attention until I was encouraged to watch this show. Boy, does it deliver. While I don't always enjoy the trope of live-action superheroes slowly earning the costumes they should just be able to wear anyways, drawing from the Frank Miller comic allowed with this match to slowly go from a blind guy with an anger problem to the genuine hero of the neighbourhood with a costume. I doubt you'll be talking much about seasons 2 and 3 in this episode, but I really like how this show brought in The Punisher, and I wished it focused more on him rather than Elektra and The Hand. But even that I said, I thought, sorry, but even that I said, uh, even that said, I thought that she was a lot of fun. Charlie Cox is daredevil to me. His recent appearances have made me very excited for Born Again. Thank you, King Canuck. Um, we we won't really be talking about two or three in this. Uh, uh, I will just. I thought. Uh, I don't know. I don't find the Punisher a terribly um, interesting character. He's okay. Mm. Um, whereas Lecter in the Hand and the story of Lecter and Matt is far more more compelling to me. And I thought season two worked. You had the Punisher bit in the middle, and then we got over that. <laughs> And we got back to the real story of Electra and ninjas and mm. and resurrection and and all that cool stuff. But um, horses for courses, they did a Punisher series, which you can all go and watch. All you Punisher fans that want it to dominate Daredevil can just go and watch the uh, not terribly brilliant Punisher series they made. <laughs> nobody talks about or enjoys that much. So there you go. I, There's your yeah, Punisher series. Yeah. I remember watching that and thinking, uh, I don't know if I enjoyed yeah. that or not. Was, That's where Punisher belongs, over there and not dominating my Daredevil series. <laughs> I've got Kingpin, Electra, The Hand, I've got Stick, The Chase. That's what I'm here for, not Frank. Frank I, can have two or three episodes. I, I love the I love the episodes they did with him. I thought yeah, it was really, same. really good. But I don't want it to dominate. I don't want it to be the whole thing. I, it's not Punisher. It's Daredevil, yeah. please. Um, I think he works best as this kind of this auxiliary character rather than the focus sometimes in some stories. There are no auxiliary characters on Patreon, Will. <laughs> hey, <laughs> there it is. Segue seamlessly over. <laughs> um, uh, man, we really have become confronted um, on a on a kind of a weekly basis that nobody does Marvel podcasts like this show. No. And you guys know that because we've seen the numbers for Iron Man remastered for Kang Trilogy. As we give you everything you need to know about Kang right here, right now. Um, as uh, Quantum Mania is in theatres. As we bring you these dives through the deep dives into the histories of these incredible characters. And we say this you know, quite a lot, Will. You're terminally online, aren't you? You're too online. You see all the <laughs> awful discourse, all the nonsense is on there. Mm. You are bombarded Instagram, Twitter, um, and, and websites, but YouTube by these genuinely just ropey accounts that 
touch on the surface of a character, or they've got two idiots moaning and complaining and arguing about who'd win in a fight between this character and that character. Just stuff that doesn't need... Like, this show is the real context. This show is the real history. This show brings you what you need to know about Marvel, about the characters, about the stories, about the history. It's all here for you. Um, We don't subject you to adverts for erections and (laughs) mattresses and supplements that do something. Uh, Make you feel like more of a man if you take these supplements. We don't subject you to that because we're better than that. Um, We are only here thanks to the incredible um, work of our amazing community that exists on Patreon. If you want great quality marvel podcasts you've got to give back you've got to support us it's the only way we can keep going it's the only way we can keep up with all the overheads and invest as much time into this show as it requires to bring you like the kang trilogy two-parter like this show on daredevil um and that we've got coming up as well and guys you just you you, you're not just going to be supporting the show you're going to be getting for yourself some amazing bonus content as well Will, let's talk about the Kang Dynasty because mm. that's what we looked ahead. We see the announcements that, that Fiji makes, and we know that 2025 we're going to get Avengers Kang Dynasty. We know that Kang is making his big screen debut in February in uh, Quantum Mania. We yes. say on this podcast, we're not waiting to 2025. We're going to do the Kang Dynasty right now with right a now. massive deep dive into that. Um, which really uh you were blown away by it really blown away by it. it was it was a great deep dive it gives me a lot a lot of uh anticipation for phase six and we hopefully see hopefully see some of that happening but who knows yeah we had a, we, we had yeah. a big debate about that didn't we in the end we, of the bonus that, episode yeah those were punching uh, kicking and all that. Yeah, I had a big debate. Uh, I, I, that said, I, 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 I'm, after we record this, I'm going to see Quantum Mania in the cinema. So it's it, any any Kang sliver of morsel I can get. Until then, I'm really happy with. And that and episode it's more than really a sliver. Yeah, more than a sliver, more than a morsel. Yeah. That is a big, meaty two hour plus deep dive into the Kang Dynasty. A bonus episode for February that is up and out there for people on Patreon.com/slash Marvel versus marvel we give so much um to our supporters on patreon we have a full-length bonus episode every single month um in february it was the kang a deep dive into the kang dynasty in march it's going to be a deep dive into maybe the the best black panther story of all time wakanda doom war as dr Mm. doom invades the nation of wakanda um, to take it over with his armies and his robots. And it's going to take more than one Black Panther to take Doctor Doom down. It's a massive story that involves the Fantastic Four and the X-Men and the Black Panthers and Doctor Doom. That's what we're bringing to the table in March. On top of that, every month we bring you guys um, Obscure Marvel, our mini-show where we explore the most ridiculous characters um, in the uh, and stories and the annals of uh, of Marvel history. It's the show that's brought you um, a special episodes on Leapfrog. <laughs> uh, do you remember how Leap? Do you remember <laughs> the end of Leapfrog where he he uh, manages to get himself uh, to bounce out of court? 
Yeah, um, I was thinking about Leapfrog the other day and thinking, oh, we've had some fun looking at some absolute losers. We've we, we've looked some at duds. some duds, some real duds, some real losers. Pace Pot P. Yeah. Oh God, it's a. Uh, you really got to get on Patreon. You really got to listen to some <laughs> Pace Pot P is an evil villain that has a glue gun, and he's just such an evil villain. Bring, uh, with restore the Pace Pot Pete verse. Um, <laughs> it's all there for you guys. We also we also um, bring out. Um, early access to every single episode on patreon um and then there's me and will do a comedy fun podcast as well every month um which is uh, more and more fun every time we do it um and there's so many ways people can support us and we've got to talk about those that support us we've got to talk about uh, peter j brandon schmigilski randall schmidt zach thomas basta beer sam bindi and sue p because those the cats that uh, they look at that £10 tier, which gives them all the bonus content they want, and then they say, how about we double our pledge mm. and just come in at this other tier, doing the right thing and giving as much as we can to this podcast. Um, and we love those guys for that. They really, really make sure this podcast keeps going. We salute them, give them some bonuses as well, some extras, some goodies. Um, by digging deep, by really taking care of business and doing the right thing. That's the world-class wrecking crew right there. That being said, they've mm. been trumped last month. <laughs> this month. Trumped. Because a, a, new, a new gunslinger walked into that saloon. <laughs> he pushed them doors wide open, swaggered <laughs> in. And he looked at that table that's got a lot of cheddar on it, and he put down... I'm talking about a man called Billy Brown. He decided, I've not been a part of this community before. Whoop! He donates 100 quid up front. <laughs> Boom, bang. Going in that 100 quid tier right from the offset. Never been a part of our Patreon community before. But Billy Brown realized that he needed to do the right thing. Now, what I'm assuming is that Billy Brown said... You know, I discovered this podcast about a year ago. Seems like I've got some back taxes that the lads need. I've got to pay for the last year. I've got to cough up. I've got belly up to that bar and boom. He put so much cheddar on that table. Billy Brown, mad shout out to you. Mad um, shout out. That is really going, uh, digging very deep um, and very, going to a special, good. a very special place um, called Doing the Right Thing Town. He's in the 100 Club now. And we reached out to Billy, and we're going to put some special uh, goodies together for him, um, do some special content for him. Um, oh man, it was an, an incredible boost that gives us when we're putting hours and hours into the podcast. Um, it's a hell of a thing. We, me and Will have no support from anybody else. We write it, we record it, we research it, we produce it ourselves. There's nobody else involved. We've got no financial backers, and we've got no ads or sponsors at the moment. We just no. rely on you guys doing the right thing. And when you do the right thing, you can get access to over 30 full-length bonus episodes. You can get access to early access to every single main episode show three days before the rest of the world. You can get access to 28, 29 mini-shows. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. It's the place to go to support your favorite Marvel podcast. You're already fans. You're already 
here for the long haul. It's time to do the right thing. Give us what you know we deserve. And look, sell some of that debt you've been building up. Get your soul clean, like Billy Brown did. Think think about doing that. Think about saying how long I've been a fan of this podcast. It's been over a year. It's been over two years. I think my back taxes keep tick, tick, ticking up. Think about whapping out that hundred cheeses on the table to make sure you're doing the right thing. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. On the other side of this break, we're going to take that uh, deep dive into Daredevil. <laughs> 